following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Well, good morning to each and every one of you. Good to see you. Glad you braved the cold and you're here this morning. And I'm surprised not more of you are sitting in the balcony where it's warmer. Anyway, uh, it's a good day that God has made. Been good worship so far and glad that you're here. You ever asked a question, what if? Hmm? What if? Let me ask you one this morning. Suddenly, you got a check in the mail for a million dollars. What if you got a million dollars? What would you do with it? I need three answers. What would you do with it? Spend it on what? A car? A million dollar car. I hear that. Uh, who else? Put it in the soup kitchen? Well, amen to you. That's a great answer. What else? (laughs) Anybody else? That's three. I'll take one more. Yes, sir. Huh? Buy a house? That's what I'd do. I'd buy one in Florida today, I tell you. Amen. Would anybody tithe it? Three of you would. All right. Uh, That's $300,000 right there, isn't it? All right. Well, let me ask you another question here, all right? Take it a step or two further. What if we really, really, really prayed? What do you think would happen? Amen. Amen. Could change the world. If we really prayed the way God wants us to pray, if we really believe what the Bible tells us to believe. What if prayer became the top priority for every Christian in the world? Even if it was just for a single day, what do you think could happen? Now, there's two ways to talk about this, and this is my second sermon on prayer. It will be my last one on this little short series. There's two ways to talk about it, two ways to sort of help make it happen here. One is guilt and the other is excitement. Let's talk about guilt for just a moment, the guilt trip. That approach tells us we don't pray very much and we don't pray very well. And life is hard. Life is not that good. God is a cosmic killjoy. God always takes it out on people that don't do what he wants them to do. Guilt is a powerful motivator, you know that? And it works a lot of times. Using guilt, you can get people to do what you want them to do and manipulate them more quickly and effectively than any other approach that you could take, just about any other. But the difficulty with guilt is it doesn't last very long. People catch on to you after a while, you know? You need to keep piling guilt on, plus guilt has a way of coming back to bite us sometime or another. But how about excitement as a choice, okay? That's a lot more fun, don't you think? Probably a lot more effective as well, at least I think it is. Excitement is seeing the possibilities that prayer offers each and every one of us. It's living by faith. It's prayer that tunes in to God and see God is good and God is our Father and God loves us. It's choosing good because we want to rather than because we have to and our heart's not really in it. With that kind of excitement about the possibilities of prayer, let's do a little 
thinking about this. Let's do perhaps a little dreaming as well. Now, last week I preached on the, the aspects of, of Jesus and his prayer life, you know, his private life, his public life, his public prayers, his private prayers, prayers of difficulty, uh, 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 other things like that. But we're going to look at a little bit of that today and bring it to us, all right? So to begin, what if we were to really pray privately the way Jesus taught his disciples to, play, to pray? I gave you this verse last week from Matthew 6, verse 6. He said, whenever you pray, go to your inner room, go to your closet, go to a private place, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret, one-on-one, just you, just you and God. And your Father who sees you pray there in secret, Jesus said, he will reward you. And with those words that Jesus taught, what is, the cor- what is the cornerstone of a significant prayer life in relationship with God? Evidently, is what Jesus said right here, the beginning of it, private prayer. Let's look at that, praying privately. The elements we see include, you got to have a place, okay? Jesus said, go to your closet, go to your inner room, go somewhere, okay? And it could be any room, your bedroom, an unused room in the house, maybe a corner in the basement where nobody goes. It could be in your car at lunch, any, anywhere, anytime. It just takes a place and it takes a time. Some people get up early in the morning and pray, Some would do it during the day, maybe on their lunch hour, you know, in their car or wherever. Some people, you know, they do it when they go to bed at night or just before they go to bed. Try to make it the same time every day. I would encourage you, if you're not doing that, start out with five minutes. And let me share share with you how I pray and what I think the Bible teaches about prayer. If you really want God to show up when you pray, you spend the first minute or two, if you're praying five minutes, if you're praying longer, you spend a little longer on this, you praise him. You just tell God how great he is. You find, you, you think of some things he's recently done in your life, and you praise him for it. God, you're wonderful. You're majestic. God, all that you've done, you know, it's beyond my comprehension. God, you love me so much. God, you are, you are awesome. Just praise him, okay? Just worship him. Tell him how great he is. Tell him you love him. God, I love you. How many of us say, say that to God? God, I love you. We like hearing he loves us. Say to God, I love you, Lord. I love you. I love you. Then to confess our sins. Lord, you know what I said to Joe back there at work? You know what I said to my wife and how I treated her this morning before I left? Or my husband? We need to ask forgiveness and and experience that forgiveness. Then to say, thank you. And then, then, then is the time to say, and God, these things are happening in my life now. You know all about them, but I need your help. And I need some direction, and I need some wisdom. I need whatever it takes for these issues in my life here or in someone else's life here. And you'll be surprised that five minutes you take will increase to 10, will increase to 15, and may even stretch beyond that to half an hour. The hard part of all of that is to do it. And like the Nike commercial says, you need to 
just do it, you know? We have a thousand different distractions in our lives every day because our lives are busy and they're full. Prayer is not a natural activity for us. It's a supernatural undertaking, and it's not that easy to do. It's connecting with the Almighty God of the universe. It's deploying the power of God. It's entering into spiritual warfare because if you've prayed like this, you've experienced it. There's demonic powers trying to keep you from prayer, from your private prayer. But I'm convinced that for those who do it, it is without a doubt the most significant and life-changing pursuit that any Christian can follow in their lives. Just imagine what if... What if, what would happen to all of our lives if we prayed that way every day? We would experience personally the presence and the power of God in our lives. So here's the challenge. Just do it. Try it. Not for a day or for a week. I'm going to stretch it. I'm talking five minutes. Start out with five minutes. How about for a year? How about for the rest of this year? Five minutes a day, I'm going to pray to God. Set aside a time, set aside a place, and start it. If you haven't done it before, you haven't done it much, do it and let it grow as God grows it in you. And I promise you, I promise you with every ounce of my fiber of my being, you will see a difference in your life, a transformation that private prayer will make in your lives. And I promise you, you will not be sorry. You really won't. You talk about the best is yet to come. If you begin praying privately like this, the best is yet to come. And when something occurs in your life, a hard time, a tough time, you've got a foundation because you know the Father in heaven and you know where to go and you know how to go. But as essential as private prayer is, there's an extra effectiveness and power of when you and I pray together. Let's look at praying publicly now. Jesus said this in Matthew 18, 19, and 20. He says, I tell you the truth, King James says, verily, verily, if two of you on earth agree about whatever you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. And I like this, for where two or three are assembled in my name, I'm right there among them. That's one reason I'm asking us to pray, a little group to come at 9 o'clock on Monday mornings that we will meet and pray. We'll meet together. How many of us are here? And we're going to meet with Jesus. Now, Jesus here in these verses doesn't explain why praying together differs from private prayer. He just says it is. There's a difference. And by the way, this is not talking about a gathering where someone stands up, comes up here and says, well, let's all, our, let's all bow our heads and silently pray. All that is is a lot of people privately praying in the same place at the same time. What Jesus is describing here is when two or three of us get together for prayer. 
And we come together and we agree concerning what we're going to pray about and the direction of our prayer before the prayers are spoken and perhaps again after they have prayed. But what the difference is, is when two or three people pray, it's different than when a person prays alone. The difference is probably a mixture of the natural and the supernatural. The natural reason that prayer together is so powerful is because of the expectation that when two Christians should come to an agreement together before they ask God for anything. There's a different dynamic that whenever we do something together, there's an empowerment there. We feel a little stronger. We feel a little, little, little strength, more strength there. It's empowering. We're far more likely to ask uh, uh, inappropriate, unbiblical prayers when we're alone than in cooperation with other believers. You probably heard illustrations like this, but there's an experiment done years ago with two champion draft horses, horses that could just pull heavy loads. One horse was able to pull 4,000 pounds. The other could pull 4,500 pounds or thereabout. And then they teamed them up together. They hitched them up together and discovered that these two horses together could pull 12,000 pounds. Together they could do far more than the sum of what they could do individually. A doctor did some research, a physician, and he remarked that there are different dynamics that take place with different combinations of antibiotics. Occasionally, occasionally, there's a connection from a couple or three of them, okay? They come together here, a combination and a combined energy. And they're able to accomplish these antibiotics. They're able to accomplish far more together than either one could accomplish independently. There's something about the compounding and multiplying effect of our prayers when we pray together. But there's also something supernatural in praying together as well. Jesus is present in a way in which he's not present when we pray alone, it seems like. I don't have the explanation to that, okay? I don't even know how to discuss it except to say he's right there. He's right there in presence and power in a way that's maybe not in possible to experience when we pray by ourselves. And when we begin to understand this amazing supernatural truth, you would think, you know, man, we got that available. We need to flock together. We need to have all kind of groups praying together with each other. You would think that in every Christian marriage, there would be a, that driving desire for the couple to spend some time together praying. You would think that prayer meetings would be the most popular time all week that people would flock together on Wednesday night as the church came to pray. What if we really got together praying? What if everybody found a prayer partner with whom to share and come to an agreement and pray? Hey, let's pray together once a week. You know, if we can't meet physically, we'll meet supernaturally. Our hearts will be together at 9 o'clock on Wednesday morning, whatever. What if we all insisted that part of our Christian lives be regular participation in a prayer gathering, either at church or in a small group, maybe in the neighborhood, maybe as your family? 
not doing it because we have to, but in order to experience the supernatural presence of Jesus Christ and to agree together with one another. It's a way of being bound together by the God in heaven. What a difference that would make. So there's private praying, there's public praying. But what do we pray about? Hmm? You probably have things you know you want to pray about. But let me throw some out here, okay? Whether we're praying privately or praying together, the subject matter of our prayers. You know what the number one subject of my prayer life is? And I don't think it's different than yours. Me. I pray for myself a good bit, you know? How do I pray for myself? Well, listen, it's not that selfish what I'm talking about, okay? I think it's pretty understandable. I need every day to confess my sins before God. I must every day renew my commitment to Jesus Christ. Lord, this is a new day. I want to follow you just like I did yesterday and the day before, maybe even better. I need to confess my submission to him as well, that he's the Lord of my life. I need to pray that he will give me help. He'll give me the, the wisdom for all the issues that I face in my everyday living. And I must personally declare to him my thanksgiving and my gratitude for all the differences that he's made in my life and all the blessings that he's poured into my life. But you know what? I still need more prayer than I can pray for myself. I need your prayers. After all, which is better, do you think, that I just pray for me and you just pray for you? Wouldn't it be better if I prayed for you and you also prayed for me? Hmm? When we pray for each other, then the results will multiply, multiply infinitely because God himself is involved in our prayers. Now, this is, idea is not original with me because I strive, I try my best to pray what God says rather than what I say. But it's all through the Bible what I'm saying right here. But let me mention one from Ephesians 6 verse 18. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, with every prayer and every petition that you make to God, pray at all times in the Holy Spirit. And to this end, be alert and with all perseverance and, per, per, and, and petitions for all the saints. And you know, saints, that title is just a synonym for Christian. Take a moment and look at the person on your right. And then turn to the person on your left and say, you're a great, you're a great saint. As a Christian, we're to pray for one another. And I have to tell you that I greatly value the prayers of the saints for me. But I want, what I want you to do is to pray. I really, really want you to pray for your coming pastor. Okay. I met with your search committee right after they were elected and they were forming together. <clears throat> I <clears throat> excuse me. I shared several things with them. <clears throat> but the beginning point that I made with them was that you really need to pray about this. 
You need to pray for this man, and you need to pray for the church's future, for welfare's future. And I said, how would you pray to God? And I gave him this example, and this is the example I want to give you this morning. If you had a loved one, a family member or whatever, who was admitted to the hospital, how would you pray to God? I want to ask you, with that in mind, to pray for your coming pastor the same way, with fervency, with fervent prayer. And here's some suggestions on what to pray for this man, okay? Number one, you need to pray that he will be a man who walks close with Jesus Christ. Number two, you need to pray that God will protect him from temptation and from sin. Number three, you need to pray for his wife, their marriage, and for their children. Number four, you need to pray that he will have the, the wisdom to do what is good and what is right. And then lastly, you need to pray for him every time he stands up in this pulpit or wherever he may be, Wednesday night in the fellowship hall, when he's preaching and when he's teaching, when he's speaking, that he would speak God's word truthfully. Do you think that's good to pray for him? Get in the habit of praying these suggestions for him, for the coming pastor. And when he comes, you continue praying the same prayers. I began with the pastor of the church. Now let's look at the people of the church. We need to pray for one another, as I mentioned a moment ago, okay? But what if we did pray for each other? What if we prayed for at least five of our brothers and sisters in here each week. I'm sure if you called the church office, they would print you out a list of church members. Take it. Go down the list. Pick one a day for five days. Pray for that person. You don't know what their needs are, but you can pray for them. Just pray for that God will bless them. Any issues in their life, he would, he would, he would work, work those out. What do you think would happen for couples, maybe on the brink of divorce that you don't know about. What difference would it make for those who are sick or unemployed or struggling families? Wouldn't it be great if we really prayed for one another and just not for ourselves? How about we pray for this soup kitchen that the church is involved in right up the road? You know what happened there the other week? They had a wedding. Two folks who had been coming got married. Fred sang. I don't know who married him. Ron, who? Oh, really? Ron Eads? Good for you. But they got married. And some of them have been attending here on Sunday mornings. Pray for one another. Then we need to pray for the church as a whole. Welford. What if we really prayed for the ministry of the church? One of the most familiar prayer lines in the New Testament is Philippians 4, 6. You know, we were in Philippians here recently. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about things like you do. Instead, in every situation, with every issue, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. Now, these words were not written to an individual, but to a church. 
And the context, I remind you, surrounding these words tell of a conflict in the church itself, in the Philippian church, between two women who couldn't get along with each other. It was about the apostle Paul and the money that was, that was needed for his ministry. And what we have here is a call to prayer, to pray for the ministry and for the life of the church. And the church is composed of Christians, but the church has a body of its own. It's a, if a church is healthy, that's good for God. It's good for the church. It's good for the people that make up the church. But if a church is unhealthy, it's bad for God. It's bad for the church. It's bad for the people in the church. And just as we pray for one another as individuals, it's important for the church body to pray for them and its ministry as a whole. So what would happen if we prayed for the church? I don't mean the building, but the body of the church. What if we prayed for unity as Jesus prayed in John 17, where he prayed for his disciples Father, I pray that they'll be one just as you and I are one. Or what if we prayed the way Paul prayed in Philippians 1 for the elders, the leaders, the deacons, the, the staff of the church to be godly and wise and competent in the leadership they're called to give? What if we prayed seriously about the finances of the church, that there would be enough, it would be adequate to, to the uh, that. To, to meet our needs and we'd spend it wisely to do the work of Jesus Christ. I believe that much of God's blessing on Welford Church would be the result, humanly speaking, of Christians who pray. And then there's the world. You know there's other Christians who aren't able to worship this morning. Without the fear of persecution, there are other Christians who are in prison because they're Christians. There are some Christians who would die for the faith, their faith in Jesus Christ today. There are other Christians that live in nations that are not Christian. They don't have the food. They don't have all the comforts. They don't have all the necessities that you and I have. What about if we prayed for them? What if we prayed about this madness in Ukraine and other nations that's going on? Russia. I don't understand things. I don't understand how hatred can run so deep between people or why the international community can't do anything about it. But what if we all prayed as Christians that God would bring peace to areas in the world? And the Psalms were told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem to pray for that? What if we prayed for people who are facing famine or war or persecution, natural disasters, all kind of things, the list goes on, disease, even here, you know, people with heart conditions, people with diabetes, so forth and so on. Now hear me out on this next one. I don't get political from the pulpit. What if we... Stop criticizing the president and started praying for him. I don't agree with everything he does. I hadn't known a president yet I agree with 100% with. I hear all the things that's said about him. But who's praying for him? That's what I would ask. 
Who's really concerned about who he is and what God has given him to do? For Romans tells us God puts every leader and every governor and president in place. I say this because of what the Bible says. In 1 Timothy 2, the first three verses, Paul says, first of all, main thing right now, I urge that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanks be offered on behalf of all people, even for kings and all those who are in authority. Why? So that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and dignity. Yeah, I'll pray for him. Again, I may not agree or I don't agree with everything. But I pray that God would give him wisdom. I pray God would protect him because he's the leader right now. I pray God will bring peace somehow or another. And it will work things out for good. Paul went on to say, such prayer for all is good and is welcomed before God our Savior. Since he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So somehow, praying for the leadership of our nation, our country, our city, whatever, can bring peace where the gospel of Christ is shared even more. I believe, too, the most divisive moral issue in America today is not COVID. It's not even our rights. It's abortion. A lot of us are numb to this now because it's gone on for so long, but it's a national sin. I wondered if we pray for God's supernatural intervention in this tragedy, that it wouldn't be far better than any political solution. Let me remind you, Satan goes after the children. When Moses was born, all the male babies had to be thrown into the Nile. When Jesus was born, all the boys two years and younger were to be slaughtered. He goes after the children. We can't let him do that. We need to pray for the ladies who've experienced abortion, that God would bless them and help them. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. I wish everybody in Washington and Columbia and all the other places were Christians. I'm not saying we shouldn't get involved in the political process. On the contrary, I think it's we should, and it behooves us to. But I'm speaking of what the Bible says. And the Bible says comparatively little about political action but it says a great deal about you and I praying. In the world today, it's estimated that there are 10,000 people in South, Af South America and Africa that are committing their lives to Jesus Christ every day, perhaps more. There's somewhere around 30 to 50,000 new churches that are organized every year in South America and Africa. Did you know that in the United States, 
there's about 60 churches a week that close. That's about 3,000 churches a year. Three hundred thousand a year. Almost one percent of the churches in this country shut down every year. One analyst said that the Spirit of God is now accomplishing the greatest spiritual awakening in all of human history, whether we know it or not. Everywhere in the world except North America. What if, what if, what if we really, really prayed privately, publicly, together, for one another, for your new pastor, for the church, and for the world? What if we really prayed, oh, Lord, Please teach us to pray. Father, I don't know of any, anything else to share but that. Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Make us people of prayer. Instill within us a fire, that, a desire to pray. Lord, in all these areas that I mentioned today, to come before you, What a difference it will make. So find in us today, Lord, that we will fulfill that desire and that command that you've given to us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.